Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Good morning. Today is Sunday, September 6th, and I would like to start today with a few acknowledgements. First of all, some of us are absent, who are not here. Our uh, beloved Shingiroshi is having a weekend off. But there are also others who are not here because they might be ill. So to those amongst us who are not here and who are in the hospital, we send our nen for a quick recovery. Welcome to you all who are here. And even here, let's, even not, there are some here, one especially, who came into this world today, many decades ago. So, Seho Zenji, happy birthday. Everybody, happy birthday today. And this is the word that made me think and that started that pebble that rolls down the hill. Everybody, 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 everybody. Why is it everybody? Why isn't it every mind? And I had spoken in the past, in the few talks ago, I mentioned that I would talk about one specific uh, term that we encounter in the formal Linzai Zen practice. And today is a good day to address that term. So everybody, not every mind, when we engage in this practice of Zen, especially in a culture that is very much based upon the belief in mind as a separate kind of entity that exists. This is all in our minds. We're thinking and rational thinking has developed in very intricate ways, science, abstraction, all of that is very much cognitively based. So there is a tendency at times that we in Zen practice get stuck on that mind part or that we give it too much emphasis. And uh, as we know, the universe always will create some kind of balance. It will reconcile. If there's too much of this, then the other side will come forth and nothing is fixated. So mind, of course, we read in translations often mind, mind, mind. What is Buddha? Buddha is mind. Buddha is not mind. And over the last 15, 20 years, very much known to all of us 
is the practice of mindfulness. Again, mind. It's though when you scratch that layer of mind and you go into the real teachings of what is mindfulness, you will find out that there is that connection which that we call the body or the physicality in which we live. Mindfulness as just a mind activity is quite psychological. But when it comes to connection and to the bridging or in the end, ideally, the elimination of any thought or idea that there is a difference between body and mind, then a very different type of practice begins. So it's not just Zen mind, beginner's mind, but what is that Zen body? Everything arises conditionally. Engi, pratitya samutpara. We experience it in the morning when we wake up. Well, it's hard to say. Let's assume we were awake since this morning. So all we can say is we woke up as this or that person. Recollection of yesterday, who knows? There was nobody there overnight. But most of us have the experience that we wake up pretty much the same person or the same place than the night before. So there are conditions. There are conditions in this universe that manifest themselves in a specific way, at specific frequencies, let's say. When you look at the screen you're looking at, it seems like a continual stream of images, but it's really chopped up impressions at a specific frequency that we put together in our consciousness as a flow of time. But other things change very slowly. Mountains, the Kalpar is defined as that celestial being coming down to the top of Mount Sumeru and with the wing just dusting over the top of Mount Sumeru. And when the mountain is worn down from that, one culper has elapsed. So conditions change at different speeds, at different ways. So Zen mind and Zen body, how important is that in this practice? What is the Zen body that we manifest? Of course, we can point to the posture. When we sit in Zazen, we sit in a specific way, according again to the conditions into which this body manifests itself. We all know that our bodies have limitations. And the older we get, the more we become aware of it. 
And not only that, we might even dislike it. So there's an interesting point to make here. Identity. Identity is not just a construct of the mind. I am this, I am that. But it is also a reality of the bodies who we are. That's it, who we are, not who we inhabit or that are added to that mind. So that integration of abstraction, the ideal self with the physical reality of our being is part of this practice. It's the realization that really goes to the core of the practice of Zen, namely recognizing that there are limitations in this world. This is where this body ends. There is no inch more than this. There is limitation. And within that limitation, how do we develop a way to live to the utmost manifestation of freedom? Free, not necessarily just from, free from abstract constructs, free from the limitation of self-imposed identity, but also free within the conditions under which this being that you call yourself exists. In the traditional Zen training in a Rinzai monastery, there is a physical component. It is very important that that physical component is there because, because it helps for that mind and that body to become one. We often hear about in Zazen, mind and body fall off, where everything turns into this pitch black, nobody to see anything, nothing, nothing to be seen, nothing to be remembered, the falling off, which is fine. This is one direction to the extreme, minus, minus, smaller, smaller, and the zero is manifest. But from there we arise again and it goes to the other side, bigger, 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 bigger. Body and mind appear, and there also has to be the place where body and mind not fall off, but become one, become one with everything. Not in the pitch dark of no recognition, of nobody there to see and nothing to be seen, but the full spectrum of colors the experience of the world as the shining light that brings up this, what our mind calls differentiation, which at that point is not different, but the richness of all of it together. And for that, mind and body have to become one. Otherwise, 
It is just an imagination. It is just a mind trick. It is incomplete. So there are many traditional ways of doing that in the Zen monastery, but also in the practice we have. I mentioned the practice of sitting in a specific posture. We all know that when we feel a specific way, our body tends to take a specific posture. We are beaten down. We manifest some kind of contraction and are consumed by it in a way where we are pulled along. But in Zazen, we learn to do the same thing by being open to it rather than being, the, being subjected to the activity. We fully manifest it intentionally by giving ourselves fully to it and by then also completely forgetting about there is a mind, there's a body. And that interaction of mind and body is circular. Those of us, those of you who know about modern therapies know that trauma, for example, is seated in the body our bodies that are physical remember traumatic experiences. Well, frankly, I would say being born, emerging from your mother's womb often could be seen as traumatic. It is something that is very, very intense, both for the mothers and for the children. So our bodies have that capacity to be the actualization and to hold something real that has happened in our lives. And in Zen practice, as well as in certain therapies, by making that connection between the body and the brain, in this case, which is also a part of the body, by reestablishing full relationship, these energies begin to flow again. All the organs in our abdomen, the heart, the lungs, and all of that connected by the 10th nerve, the nervous vagus. We often forget that the brain doesn't just send out information to the organs, but that the majority of the fibers in that nerve are efferent and feed back to the brain. So when we sit in a specific posture, when we take up a specific posture, we also start the interaction of moving that energy around between brain, body, mind, heart and we get it going again. That is very, very important. That's why in Zen practice, we will encounter days where we just feel like crying and letting loose of something that seemed to have held us captive for many, many years at times. We feel physical restraints around our neck we feel physical restraints in our breathing. 
And all of the, those are manifestations of that fixation that might exist. Now it's something that happens naturally, but naturally also this practice encourages us to work within that kind of connection, that kind of relationship that we have to establish. So traditional ways of embodiment are known in Japanese and Chinese arts that have to do with that kind of body and mind becoming one in action. Everybody will think right away of the sword fighters of martial arts, but also calligraphy with the brush, pottery with the hands, but also dance, music, expression of being alive. So what I want to say with that is that we don't have to think necessarily that we are restricted to those traditional kind of ways. Oh, I don't know how to do calligraphy or I don't want to learn it. No, that's not what we have to press ourselves into a specific form. In the same way that we engage in Zen practice as an expedient means, we have to find for ourselves the places in which we can reestablish and bring that energy and that flow of energy between body and mind back into motion. That is really important. When my ordination teacher used to talk about realization and actualization of some kind of Zen experience, he pointed to the fact that in the past, before World War II, in most Rinzai Zen monasteries, in most Rinzai Zen, Senmon dojos, the term that was used was not Kensho or Satori, it was Taitokusuru. Taitokusuru has two characters. The Tai is the character for body, and Toku is to acquire, to attain, to realize, to make real with the body. Another wonderful word for that is full presence. Full presence that is not only the presence of a mind, of a heart, but also a full pres presence of the physicality that makes up this being that is listening to these words coming out of the speaker. So Taitokusuru. Now in this very specific context, there's also the word of Kyogai. The characters for Kyogai are pronounced Kyokai in colloquial Japanese, and there the word means freedom. But within the formal Zen context, it points exactly to that freedom within the boundaries in which we find ourselves. In the monastery, when uh, the dense is doing something and the older monks witness it 
they will see and feel intuitively and might say, oh, this kyogai is shallow. That means within the limitations of that person, the person has not yet inflated itself to really the greatest degree of the possibilities they have within that restriction of who they are, of what the practice is. And with kyogai also is the term of jiyo jizai. Jiyo again means freedom and jizai means at will. So jiyo jizai is hard to translate. And the fellow Zen monk translated it as fluency. Fluency or fluidity. Dancers know that. Musicians know that. Calligraphers know that. Mothers know that. The fluidity of the freedom within the bounds. While holding the baby that is crying and stirring the pot for the meal, something falls off the shelves and without thinking anything, she grabs it and puts it back on the table. Jiyujizai. The freedom of action within this kind of restriction or the conditionality of our lives. That is deep kyogai. And we all can learn that. At Mount Baldy Zen Center, there was one way of learning how to manifest oneself in that physical sense. And I don't know if you know Mount Baldy Zen Center is in the San Gabriel Mountains in California. You find big Douglas firs, huge pine cones, and a lot of rocks. Rocks, and if you turn the rocks over, you might find a scorpion. You always wear to bring with you a flashlight at night because the rattlesnakes are abound on the trails. So for traditional Zen monastery, no rice paddies, nothing to work on. So what could we do? One of the things that Joshu Roshi made his monks do is, well, work for the community. So in that area, there are cabins where people from Los Angeles come and spend the weekend. Some live up there. It's called Snowcrest Heights and they had the neighborhood association. And when I was at Mount Bali Zen Center, uh, the Zen Center was taking care of the plumbing that leads from the water tanks high up on the mountain through all the way down to Mount Baldy village. And whenever there was something wrong, we had a monk who knew about plumbing the Zen Center would provide the monks to help fix whatever was not in order. So one day, the fellow monk, his name was Sokai, a wonderful human being whose life was cut short by mesothelioma about six years ago. And I was assigned with Sokai to go and to fix, inspect at first and then fix one of the water tanks. Water in Southern California is as precious as gold. So if there's a leak in one of those water tanks, you have to be very, very attentive to it so that you don't find the tank empty when you need the water. 
So we went to that tank and it's about like 50 feet high. It's a round tank and at the bottom of the tank, there is an, uh, I would say maybe three inch valve that is used to drain the tank. And we inspected the tank and clearly that valve was leaking. We saw it leak there because there were a lot of flowers right there blooming. It's wonderful to see, but for the community, that water is important. So Sokai as the senior monk devised the plan. Okay, here's what we do. I'll get another valve. We'll take this one off and then we'll screw the other one in. And as a good chicken monk, you know, it goes, hey. So he got the valve and with a big wrench, we started unscrewing the old valve. The tank was almost full to the top. So we unscrewed it. And then after a couple of rotations, the valve flew off and an, an arm thick stream of water came out and he grabbed the other valve. I took the other side of it and we tried to press it into the hole and we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. The water was streaming so fast and was so hard. We didn't know what to do. My glasses were swept off. I couldn't see anything. And we looked at each other and without having to say anything like the light went on and we both knew the valve was not open. The one that we wanted to put in. So we opened it up, we lined it up and we wrestled with that tank and we got the valve on, we closed it down. And then looking at the clock, three minutes had elapsed. It felt like a timeless long stretch that you didn't know and we thought all the water has gone, but barely a couple of inches from the whole tank had gone. So this is uh, the physicality of practice and intensity of practice that we can experience and that integration of making that contact with the water and then thinking didn't help at all. It, the solution became clear by itself. So we don't have to do calligraphy. We don't have to do ikebana or some very specific Japanese flavor. In this practice, we want to unite, bring together our heart, mind and our body in the actualization of that, what we are doing. And that is not a compartment of our lives. It is our life itself. The posture we take as a human being within the conditions of our makeup, in openness, in peacefulness, and from that inner point of silence and of the center of gravity of the universe, it doesn't matter. We should bring it and have to bring it to whatever we do. It may be the way 
we hold the sign at the protest. It may be the way how we elbow bump somebody, how we bow, how we say, it's so nice to meet you. That is the embodiment that Zen brings us through long, dedicated, and sometimes arduous practice. The freedom and the fluency as a human being within our own constraints is the delight of our fellow human beings in making relationship with us, with that practice, and with some place that is larger than just our own little individual abstractions of identity. So, all aspects together sometimes disappear, but when we are here, let us be here completely. Let us do what we do with full heart, mind, body, that there is no difference between us, them, the universe, but all one big heart. This body is the body of the Buddha. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.